save the challenge rating of about 150 hamsters. Well, um, the monster manual puts like all of the like little critters at combat rating zero, so um, potentially infinite number of hamsters. That's that's insane. No, no, you can't find an infinite number of hamsters. Uh, They're gonna get you eventually. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. But... Well, welcome back to <laughs> Roll for Insanity. I guess we've we've pretty made it very plain as to why we named our podcast what we did. Welcome <laughs> back, everyone, and thanks for joining us again. Um, if we do a real quick roll call, uh, just let everybody know who's here today. Um, again, I keep forgetting to introduce myself. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe I guess I don't. I don't exist. You're selfless. <laughs> I'm That's a bot, all. apparently. Uh, no. My name, my name is Kevin, and uh, today we have with us we have Clay. Ooh. Well, we had Clay. I don't know what happened. He turned into a ghost. He oh, did. Okay. Well, uh, oh, Bree, my, my mic cut out. Hello. Uh, we have Ryan. Hey guys. And we have Joey again. Thank goodness. Heyo. And as usual, Nathan, the man with all the controls. Hello. 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 Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we uh, we are so glad to have you back. I hope you're enjoying your uh, your time with us, and uh, we hope that uh, we're covering topics that you want to hear. But uh, for the most part, uh, we're just glad you're here and listening and and enjoying our ramblings. Um, today, I just wanted to kind of start real quick on uh, the DM's use of NPCs and uh, the NPC. Uh, for most people, they think of it more or less just a, you know, some type of a interactive uh, character that uh, you can move in and out and help to guide or direct you, your player characters. Um, I say you could take it a step farther. Uh, one of the biggest complaints on DMs is not being able to play because once you start the DM, they just expect that that's what you're going to do for the rest of your, your natural life. And you don't get to play anymore. I say, ha ha. I'll play the NPC. Uh, usually the campaigns I'm, that I've run and the one I'm currently running right now, um, I have a couple of PCs that I have a, a good time with and they are an extension of me. However, they're still the NPCs. They're still doing their job and making sure that uh, gameplay continues and, you know, trying to, to nudge and urge and nurture, you know, the best they can. So uh, just keep that in mind, DMs. You don't always have to be the DM. You can actually play once in a while. Yeah, mine just not... cut in a little bit here. No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that um, being able to like put yourself in your NPCs and play around with them is good. At, is good because you know you obviously don't get the fun of playing. But um, I think that there's a fine line between NPCs and the notorious DMPC, where <laughs> you're. Uh, you're just you make your own character and you try and play along with the party um but you obviously have omnipotence about all of the challenges that they're going to face and how to beat every single monster because you're the one who set them up so it's a fine line to walk but i think that you've been doing a good job that you have been doing said. a good job hey i'm pretty sure i haven't taken any of the loot you know i'm pretty That's sure exactly <laughs> you've even given them it's of. been great I think I have. I think I think I was been a very generous NPC. You have been. Thank you. Please keep but, giving me magical loot. <laughs> but Ryan, I do agree. Totally agree. Um, that is definitely a place where a DM could over you know, step his bounds. But you know, you still do have the ability to have fun with it. 
sometimes being a DM, it's uh, it's lonely at the top. That's all I can say. <laughs> Started from the bottom, now you're always a DM. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and speaking of DM, here uh, you know, we're going to switch this over to Bree, our DM in the making. <laughs> so he says. So he says. Just, yeah. just you got a little time. Right now. You I got do. a little time. The campaign, Bree. Yeah, they they want my campaign now. They want it. Um, That's right. Actually, no, they want it yesterday, but. Uh, We'll give you a you week. Know, in good time. In, yep. in good time. <laughs> yes. Well, Katze today has questions. And they're mostly questions for the DMs, but I am going to open it to everyone else here. So I want to ask about multi-classing. So Ooh. Ryan, Kevin, what is your opinion first on multi-classing? Um, so my opinion on multi-classing is that it can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on the player that takes advantage of it. Because on one hand, um, you can use it to make some pretty overpowered combos, and that's how a lot of people like to use it. But then on the other hand, I think that it can be used to make some very interesting characters that can um, help to lend to a certain idea or a fantasy that a player had in their head of a unique character. Like, maybe you want to play some sort of ninja who also has healing powers. Well, you can do it with multi-classing. Um, I agree. I agree. I think where I have a problem is where you have, there's no class separation. You know, you've got the, you know, the wonder all, like Ryan was saying, you know, the kind of overpowered where, you know, gee, he can pick locks with pretty much the, the rogues in the, the campaign. Uh, he can heal like a paladin or a cleric. I mean, in all essence, you do have to spend a lot of time uh, doing the cross training. So, I mean, as you're as you're coming up, you're a level, you know, let's say a level two, level two, in whatever you know uh, cross platforms you're you're choosing to go with. Uh, the others are already at a level. You're still fighting, and it, it, sometimes it's not even that even. Uh, you know, you 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 seem to have less. Now, that being said, when you get down the road, multi-class, you know, can be extremely powerful uh, because they can do, you know, several things. I've always said that, you know, a rogue should be the only one that can pick a lock. If you are a non-rogue and you want to learn, that's fine. But you 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 learn with so many penalties that it's almost it almost dissuades anybody from doing that. That kind of goes back to, you know, 3.5 or even AD&D, where the classes, you know, you, if you're a fighter, you fight. You're a rogue, you pick locks, you sneak. You, know, you have your own just, thing. That's, that's what you're right. right. for. Right. And so, in I mean, position, they kind of like cut into that, too, where like if you have the right background, you get proficiency in thieves tools now. So that's kind of a bummer. Right. So, I mean, it, I, I understand it. And, you know, for a smaller campaign, actually, that works out really well because we've had campaigns where it's like, uh yeah no cleric hmm and uh hmm. you know no paladin hmm well guess what no healing you know so i mean i get where that kind of came in but i think with you know campaigns like our size where you right know, we're we're you know what, how many do we actually have right now how many do we have seven uh, players well you just added two eight, more i think maybe <laughs> i think we have eight regularly now Seven, seven, because it's the yeah. it's the five five of yeah, us yeah, here, yeah. and then yeah, and then Annabelle and Cody, uh, and now we're looking at adding maybe another two. So, um, 
you know, I don't mind. I like big campaigns, but you've got to really keep on it because you have to make sure that uh, you're you know, keeping everything going because otherwise, you know, you get snoring over here because they haven't you know, right. had a round in, you know, 20 right. minutes. So, but back to the multi-class, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. Okay. Um, it's just, it, but just keep in mind that it is a, it's a, it's like uh, playing a wizard, you know, wizards when they first start out, um, you know, the wind blows the wrong way and they fall down, they can die, you know, cause they literally can have, you know, one or two hit points when they first right. start out at first level. And if you're doing that and you're trying to multi-class, it takes a while for you to get going. However, the, like with the wizard, once the wizard gets up there, it's probably one of the most powerful characters in the game. So that's my two cents. Thank you. Yeah, I was curious because, you know, I think for a new player like me being wanting to stick out and kind of keep up with the group, you're like, oh, maybe I can be this and that. Maybe I'll be super cool. And then... You know, the more I read about it, I'm like, oh, that's not only do I have to pick one class, I, I will have to know the in and out of that class and another, because otherwise I'm probably just exhausting my DM and it's probably just a whole lot and it's a lot of flash and not necessary. So thank you. It's uh, I, I see that sometimes it's good. Maybe with smaller groups it might make things more interesting or it can be very overpowered. And remember, too, that, you know, classes and races kind of go, you know, hand in hand. If you've got, uh, you know, certain pluses and minuses on the different races and, you know, depending on what type of multi-class you want to do, that may not lead, you know, to a a good, you know, all-around character. So just keep that in mind, too, because you really have to study. I would say for a new player, you might not want to do that. That might be just a little too much. Just... I learned that. <laughs> Being a druid, I think I, I dove in the deep end trying to be a druid alone. Yeah. So I, I know better now. You're doing well, though. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I had for you, uh, again, not just the DMs, but for has anyone played where there are alignment restrictions? So maybe no evils or no chaotic neutrals. Um, mm. Anyone? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> no. Um, As a free I, for all, got it. <laughs> I usually don't put restrictions on alignment in my campaigns, but it's usually because I trust my players to pick alignments that like mesh well together. Um, like if I know that a player is going to play a lawful good paladin, and then another one's going to play like a chaotic evil warlock or something, I'm going to have to sit them both down and be like, "All right, here's the deal. One of you is going to have to change because <laughs> first of all." There's no reason that these two players should even be in a party together. Like the circumstances would have to be like world ending, right? Like Not they're even the last in the same town. Yeah. Right. Like if yep. if they're like the last six people alive and they're like forced to band together <laughs> to stop some world ending threat, then fine, right? But like uh... I don't see any other reason that they would be coming together in a party like that. Um and then uh, of course, they're going to have differing ideals, so even if they were in the same party, there's just going to be a bunch of turmoil, and it's probably going to lead to player versus player fighting, and that's usually something that I don't want to deal with, but um, yeah. Messy. Messy. So, so usually um, my players lean towards good and neutral um, alignments, uh, but basically I, I never set up any restrictions Beforehand, and I don't think I've ever played in a game with them either, but I can see why people would do it. Okay, so there's no need in, in your instance. Right. What yeah, about I'm you, more, Kevin? 
I'm actually more concerned about uh, uh, <laughs> the the evil. I can just picture him looking good. at Clay right now. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you know, I look at the you know the evil and the good, and you know that's that's like Ryan said, that's pretty obvious. You know, um, even with the last six, Ryan, I actually think the Paladin would still pile drive anyone that's evil, knowing that he has his God's favor and not caring that there are no there there's no one left on the face of the planet. So. Um, <laughs> I agree. I think that kind of levels out. I think you have the, the, you know, the good versus evil that, you know, usually they play more neutral um, with the thought that they're going to be able to get away with more, you know, because you're not going to hold them to that particular alignment. I think the ones that I have a little more problems with are those that play chaotic. Um, Cause when you get into that lawful makes the lawful is kind of like what we're used to. That's the the norm. Um, you know, there is, uh, there's some kind of lawfulness with, uh, you know, the honor among thieves versus, you know, the, your everyday, you know, monastery going, you know, characters, whatever. When you get to the chaotic, I think that's where you run into a little more issues just because it does get, um, a little chaotic. harder to control. Yes. It, it's yeah. harder to <laughs> keep, to keep the lid on it because I, think- I mean, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think we could have an entire conversation about people who play quote-unquote chaotic neutral characters. Hey, whoa, so, whoa, whoa. I, I feel a little bit that. attacked. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying playing chaotic neutral is wrong, but there are people who play chaotic neutral, and then there are people who play chaotic neutral. Right. If the boot fits, Joey. Like, <laughs> I, I know um, one of my friends was a DM, and he was telling me, or no, actually, he was a player in this campaign. Um, and he was telling me that he was playing with somebody, and they saw um, somebody, like, I think they were, um, like, trying to escape a burning building or something, and the character just killed the guy and stole his wallet. And it's like, wait, why would you do that? Your alignment is chaotic neutral. And it's like, oh, well, um, I wanted money, and it's what my character would have done. And it's like, uh then you're probably not chaotic neutral, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah. I th- I think that that's an entire another conversation, though, about, like, players and understanding what alignment actually means. I agree. <laughs> so what do you think? Yeah. Do we answer that? Because, uh, like Ryan said, that could, that could probably be an entire No, I feel show. like, yeah, I feel like you answered me. I think maybe I'm thinking that it's maybe it's more of a thing when kind of a bunch of strangers just kind of go for it and they meet up and maybe they just kind of set that precedent um i've been exploring you know where i could get into a game with maybe just no one i know just to kind of experience it and that was sort of a theme i found is you know there are going to be no evils here and you know no one's really going to know each other beforehand so i wasn't sure if it was popular even with people who did know each other if they're just like yeah, we're not going to do that. That's going to be a no. We're just going to avoid that altogether. Or if it was not, just kind of something unspoken, like, yeah, I mean, you, know, you that's, could, but watch yourself. <laughs> it's probably one of the hardest um, positions that a DM is in, is trying to, uh, uh-huh. you, when you do create the character creation, that really should be, you know, picked up right at that time. And, and you know, when you're looking at the initial sheets, like Ryan said, you know, you pull them aside and say, hey, you know, this is this isn't going to work because we're never going to move anywhere because you two are going to be, you know, one of you is going to die, you know, within the first 20 minutes. <laughs> right. You know, so, I mean, then the DM needs to kind of step in. And the problem is it's, there's so many different 
you know, versions of what, you know, chaotic versus lawful versus, you know, neutral. Yeah, it just there's, you know, I don't know. I, I would say it's really tough, but I would say most characters are going to fall into the, the, like Ryan said, either uh, neutral, good, lawful, good, somewhere around that. And if you do have one, I, I had a campaign where I played with a chaotic neutral and he played it absolutely dead on. Um, you didn't know what he was going to do. I mean, he still had, he still had, you know, what in his mind was lawful, but again, it's in his mind, but he had his own rules, you know, and, uh, he was a fun one to play with. You never knew what he was going to do. Uh, he'd backstab a party member and then take out a, you know, an entire party of enemies. So great, great person to play with, but I don't think many people can do that. Honestly. I've been um, enjoying True Neutral a lot with a lot of my recent characters. I know a lot of DMs are against it, but I don't understand why. Because True Neutral, it might be boring, not super polarizing, but I feel like it gives you a lot of freedom as far as roleplay. A lot of freedom and a lot of, mm, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. Yep. You know, it's like, man, it, you want to kill him, man? I don't care. I'm, I don't want to do it. It's too much work. <laughs> no problem. Shrug. Bye, bye. That's right. Right. I don't know. What what do? All right. Well, Whoa. thank you. Well, that's it from my corner. I appreciate the feedback. Hey, All right. great questions, great information. Bree, loving having you uh, bringing in the uh, the fresh perspective. Because there's a lot of things that, I, you know, you're bringing stuff up that it's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't even think to talk about that. I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah, she's doing good. And, you know, I, I left that feeling really good. Um, and I think it's about time that I feel really bad. Oh, boy. Time um, for that's part bad. of my week. Uh, All right. Joy. So, time for, once again, two <laughs> lies and one truth. Clay, are you ready? I, I, I just want to win one. Hey, just, I, I believe in you. I, I, you've got this one for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, um, I feel like the kid at the carnival with a $20 bill just getting suckered <laughs> into playing another round. No, you trust me. It. You can knock down, down the milk bottle this dollar, time. Please. <laughs> I just right. want the stuffed animal. So this one is loosely based off of class abilities. You'll see what I mean as I get into it. So here's the first one. At 8th level, warlocks can summon their patrons to just show up and help them kill stuff, but they lose all of their spell slots for the day. Okay, okay. so that's the first one. The second one is a 6th level barbarian can survive a fall from orbit without even becoming unconscious. Okay. And the third one is at 20th level, a fighter can make 10 attacks in one turn. Uh, okay, so we're going to start this out with uh, a question. Are you going to get me on, like, ha, you can't do that at 10th level, you can do it at 11th level. No, you it's not like that. <laughs> so you're not, you're not numbers gaming me. Okay, I, just, I needed to be sure I had flashbacks to math class. Um, okay, so we got... Orbital Strike Barbarian. Yep. Um, <laughs> not have... only do they not die, they just, just don't become unconscious even. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we got the Warlock that can summon his patron to kill for him, but that's all of his spell slots? So wait, yeah, they lose summon... all their spell slots. How long does that last, supposedly, then? Like a minute. What? Yeah. That's dumb. No. So basically, you win one combat for free, but you lose all your spells. So. Wait, oh, wait, so it's guaranteed to kill all your enemies. Well, not guaranteed. It's your patron, so I guess it's however your DM controls it. Okay. Oh, your pa the warlock's patron is hey, like hey, their god. Fishing. Kind their of. Deity. I see. But, yeah, it's like their sugar daddy. 
Ah, gotcha. Clay, you you got to come up with an answer. Uh, come on, I'm just st I'm stalling. I know you are. Google's not working. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, fine. I, I always try to logic my way through this, and I think I just got to go completely 180 against it. I'm going to go ahead and say that a barbarian absolutely can be an orbital strike um, and that he can totally fall from orbit and survive and just be totally fine. Hmm. Well, is that your final answer, Clay? I, yeah. Clay, I am excited to tell you that for once in your life, you've actually got it correct. What? <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard! A sixth-level barbarian can fall from orbit and survive because of a few reasons. Um, okay. Namely, that fall damage caps at 20d6. Sure. Um, and when you're a barbarian, um, when you're raging, you take half damage from bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Fall damage happens to be bludgeoning damage. So, okay. uh, the average 6th level barbarian, assuming a decent constitution score, can fall from the maximum height possible, which is capped fall damage, and take roughly 60 damage. And uh, if assuming you have average health, you should be a little bit above that. <laughs> That's... That's insane. Wizards of the Coast, this is a message from me to you. Please, please, why? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Please don't. Don't. It's just uh, not okay. Oh, man. Oh, by I the way, um, I did number game a little bit. Uh, as a 20th level fighter, you can't make 10 attacks in one turn, but you can make 9. <laughs> You're uh, the worst. That's the one I picked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty wild in and of itself, but uh, that's for another day. You are the Man. absolute worst. I, I'm just glad I won one. I can, I can uh, breathe cool. now. Wait, Nathan, you have to give him a, a golden star. I need a golden star, Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> I'm counting it. Well okay. deserved. So now that I'm smiling, um, I think we should go into my, my next portion here. Um, I found a couple more... Uh, what some may call useless, but what I call treasure items uh, that were buried deep within the book. Um, first one being, have you guys heard of the Wand of Smiles? Yes. Joey's heard of it. Ryan? I've heard of it in passing, but I don't actually remember what it does. I don't okay. know how I feel about Joey and the way he said yes. <laughs> he, he, he likes the Wand of Smiles. What about you, Kevin? <laughs> actually, I... Do you remember, but it has been a long time. Okay, well, let's fill you guys in a little bit. So if you have the Wand of Smiles, and I have to imagine that it's just bright yellow and it just makes you feel real happy to hold. Um, when you hold it, you can use one of your actions and you can target a humanoid person that you see within 30 feet of you. If they don't succeed on a DC 10 charisma saving throw, then they are forced to smile for a solid minute. And I can just imagine the hilarity that would ensue with me making the grumpiest of emperors, the meanest of big bad endgame bosses smile for a solid <laughs> minute because they failed a charisma saving throw. Like the, It's the best. And what are they going to do about it? Yeah, they're not. They're going to smile through the pain. That's all they can do. I, I think it's great. It doesn't even change their mood. They'll be no. very angry, but they have to smile. <laughs> yeah, it's you could use it on a guard and be like, it doesn't change your sentence. I know I look happy, but no, you're going to jail. Now it's just <laughs> confusing messages are being sent everywhere. Are you happy? I, are you mad? What's going on? 
Yeah, exactly. Well, just As, think, this is official. This is an official item. What were they thinking would be the utility for this? Uh, happiness. Asserting dominance. <laughs> Roleplay. Roleplay. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Roleplay. You're going to sure. smile because I want you to smile. You better smile. Oh, the so best you... part about this, if you roll a one on your uh, on your throw, then the wand actually transforms into a wand of scowls. So you gotta you gotta be real careful because mm. otherwise you're gonna just have a wand that makes everybody sad. Wow, wow. Which is arguably just as useful. Mm. It is. And next up, have you guys heard of the candle of the deep? Nope. No. No. Sounds familiar, but it's very important. It's, so what this is, it's a candle whose flame cannot be extinguished when immersed in water. And it gives off light and heat like a normal candle. Whoa. It's just a candle you can hold underwater. That's it. That's, that's all it does. And this is a wondrous item. <laughs> this is, wow. This is in Xanathar's Guide to Everything on page 136, for those of you interested. Candle of the Deep. Look it up. It's So what you're ridiculous. telling me is I can live out my dreams of being an underwater welder. Yes, you absolutely can. If you are willing to stay down there for a really long time welding something with a candle. Wow, I think that's going to require a skill check. Sorry, <laughs> athletics check. Dang. Well, I have all the time in the world and all of the light of my candle. There you there go. You go. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> I I can't believe that. I, what, can you think of any practical use for that, Kevin? <laughs> well, the fact that it never goes out, you could swim with it. So if you had to go down a tunnel, that would be a plus. I don't know what kind of heat it puts out, but if the it was the heat freezing, of a regular candle. So was, it never goes out? Yeah. I was no, thinking, no, no, no. Not that it never goes out. It just can't be extinguished by water. Oh. You can blow so, it out. It's just a candle. The one, yeah. so the one thing... The question. Can a, like, a current blow it out? Maybe. Know, maybe it's it. Possibly. What were you saying, right? The one thing that I was thinking specifically where it would be useful is like exploring underwater caverns. Um, I can see that. I feel like it's just an item that your DM gives you if you need like a source of light in a place that's going to be filled with water and they can't just be like here's an ever-burning torch because obviously it's going to put out or whatever <laughs> but like also you could just use like sun sticks so i don't know man are those just glow sticks pretty much yeah right Sick. it makes me happy <laughs> it's, it's that is great clay thank you thank you very much now going into something that makes me a little bit peeved I've been reading a lot of stories recently on Reddit about um, people who roll a one for anything. And suddenly, for some reason, because you roll a one, despite the fact that you're a seasoned adventurer, you become basically brain dead in the eyes of your DM. And you just, it, it's ridiculous. You, you could be getting married and roll for vows, get a one, and you end up knocking out your officiant and eating your ring. Like, that's not how that works. <laughs> I don't. I what? What are you guys' opinions of this? Because I see this a lot, where people think, "Oh, you rolled a one. That means that you're completely out of it. You've messed everything up. You've hurt yourself trying to speak. Sit down." Well, the thing about that, rolling a one only really is uh, in the books, if I'm correct, only matters in combat. Like you can't critically fail a skill check. That's like you. Can't yeah, you can. Succeed it. Yeah, you can think can about you? it too. No, yeah. no, you you can't critically fail or succeed a skill check. Not a skill yeah. check, but what about, uh, well, 
I, really? Yeah, I'm going to have to say right. that uh, you're, because... you're on that. But what about uh, if you're trying to um, persuade and you roll a one? Well, I mean, sure, you would. I, f I feel like the way that I would interpret rolling a one in a persuasion check is you make your point, but like maybe you stutter a lot during it or like you don't like convince them very well or you don't appeal to them in the right way. Um, but I wouldn't say like, oh, you talk to them so badly that you punch them in the face. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, it's just going to be a fail at whatever action you are currently doing. Um <clears throat> Yeah, there there are a lot of DMs that take rolling a one to mean that you do slap that person you're trying to convince in the face. Yeah, I hate people annoying. who like home rule the catastrophic failure. Like, right? Oh, you're trying to like cut this log in half, and you roll a one, and you actually throw the axe and kill your friend. Sorry. <laughs> like, like that sometimes. <laughs> like no. <laughs> you know when you're just hanging out and accidentally kill your friend. Or like, oh, you're climbing this wall and you rolled a one. Well, um, you dislocated your shoulder. Sorry. Like just D and D things. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, again, it it's gonna fall back on the DM. He really needs to, you know, check where he is, and is there a reason why? You know, maybe not make it. You know, like you said, so ridiculous that. Right. But I mean, it, there is a reason for the critical fail. I mean, you know, hey, you roll a one. That's the absolute worst you could ever do. But it's it's not saying that you know, like you were saying, Ryan, you're chopping wood and you know, you hurl the uh, the hand axe, you know, 300 yards and you know, hit the the you know one of the women washing you know clothes in the street. Right. You know, I mean that's ridiculous. That that can't happen. I mean that wouldn't. Now you could you could say that you know you cut your toe off. You know, I mean now that could be a catastrophic fail. But again, what what's the reasoning for the DM? Why is he doing that? It, it yeah. doesn't make sense. And you know, I think really uh, just to bring up a, a tangent here, I viewed the same thing for the opposite. Like, there are some cases where I don't think a nat twenty should guarantee a success. No. Like, if there is a god that is intangible and invisible in front of you, and you roll a nat twenty on a perception check, like, sorry, pal, you aren't going to see him if he doesn't want you to see him. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I, I think that it's got to be like for things that are truly fantastical, you need more than one. Yeah. If you're really going to well, go for it. Critical confirm. That's, you yeah. know, that's where, that's where it pretty much comes down. You know, Can you uh, explain critical confirm to us, Kevin. Critical confirm is you roll a, a natural 20 and you know, the, the DM will ask you to roll a 20 again. And the reason being is if it uh, hits a certain marker again, like 19 or 20 that then confirms it is a critical and then something you know amazing could happen but bottom line it also keeps it from becoming like ryan said just a, you know over overly powerful you know like like ryan said you know i can well i can see all the the gods sitting in the room no yeah. it's not going to happen but i say the same thing should happen for a critical fail i think they sure. should have to roll again and then say if you get under a five then something could happen, you know, like the, the head of the ha the axe goes flying off and, you know, hits the, the clay pot and, you know, breaks it and all the water that you had for the camp is gone. You know, I mean, right. you could do that. But again, it's the DM's responsibility. What, why is he doing that? There's got to be a reason. I would do something funny, you know, like it hit him in the head. Uh, you know, <laughs> we can go on that for, you know, we can go on that forever. But hey, um. Let's transition over to Joey real quick, though, because I do want to hear what he's got going on uh, this week. What do you got for us this week? 
Uh, I'm actually, I actually have some questions for everyone right now. Awesome. Because it does affect, it affects everyone in the campaign when someone brings UA content into your campaign. It does. It, uh, but I think mostly it affects the DMs because they'd have to keep up with it. And if the UA is being updated constantly, you'd have to keep track of that and make sure it's balanced and works with your campaign. So uh, how do you guys feel about UA being in your campaigns? I hate it. I also don't really know what it is. <laughs> um, You're so, not wrong. Uh, okay, well, to give you a little brief rundown on UA, basically, um, imagine you're playing a video game and there is an unofficial mod that's posted that you can download and put on your game, right? Yeah, like the Thomas the Tank Engine mod for Skyrim. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Or so, like maybe there's like a mod that adds a new weapon to Skyrim or something, right? It could be a little bit too strong, or it could be a little bit too weak. Um, and like you know, that's just kind of the fact of somebody else producing content for your game like that. But I think I would uh, describe it more as like a beta, because I feel like a mod would be more home homebrew type of stuff. Sure, but imagine that, and then um, the mod gets added to the game for real, which we kind of see nowadays. Uh, I guess that's more akin to like Minecraft, where they added like pistons and stuff that used to be a mod or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, so uh, basically, Wizards of the Coast puts out this content called Unearthed Arcana which is just playtest material where you can try it out in your own campaigns, and it might not be 100% balanced, but it's just like, hey, this was an idea that we had, so if you want to try it, go for it. And um, it's usually they let people play around where they get some feedback, and then once they're done getting feedback, sometimes they'll put it into an official source book. And just so everyone knows, the the Unearthed Arcana, anything that hasn't been... Um, gold standard for the core isn't allowed in any tournaments or anything like that so it literally is kind of like a beta where you know you can play and if your dm says yes then fine but if you're doing any sanctioned event with the wizards of the coast any type of uh you know tournament play uh it is not allowed to just throw that out there yeah is there tournaments for D? yeah there, yeah what remember i was I telling that. you that new player We'll have to uh, we'll have to take you over to we have a local shop here, um, hobby shop that does uh, they I believe they they are doing sanctioned tournament play. Uh, wow. We'd have to yeah. And then there's Adventures League too, which is kind of a wizard sanctioned thing where you can come and go and you like bring your character and it's basically like if you don't have a group you can come and be in Adventures League. It's really cool, but that's. Okay. A, discussion for another day anyway to get back onto ua <laughs> um i generally allow ua in my games because i don't think that it's um like super overpowered usually um but i also tune things in process and i'm not afraid to do that and i tell that to my players straight up like hey you can bring me any homebrew or any ua and i'll read over it and see if it's inherently broken and if it is, I'm not going to allow it. But if I think it's good, we'll play with it. And if I think you're too strong, then I'll probably nerf it. Or if I think it, you're too weak, then I'll buff you up a little bit. Um, so I kind of do it on like a case-by-case -case basis for most UA. But I usually require that people show me the UA document that they're like sourcing from so that I don't have to go and be like, whoa, hey, where did you get this thing from or whatever. Yeah, and I'm worse. I'm I'm actually crazy because I actually will allow homebrew most of the time too. 
So, but I mean, I, I have no problem with it either. I think a lot of DMs do just because they're not familiar with it. And it's something a lot of DMs are very, you know, very strict at. If I don't know this, then I'm not going to allow it. You know, maybe I'll allow it later, but I need to do some research. And I think a lot of DMs are going to fall into that category. Um, I honestly don't mind because, like I said, the DM's got a lot of control. He's got uh, plenty of things he can do to rein it in. Like Ryan said, you know, you can dummy it up a little or, you know, dummy it down depending on what you want. So, Interesting. Okay. So, cool. I mean, I, I like the I like the idea of having you know not necessarily super official stuff. It kind of feels homebrewy without actually being homebrew. Um, I don't know. I, it gives me more options, absolutely, and it gives me a, an opportunity to pull out something really special or something that maybe the DM hasn't uh, seen before to kind of shake things up. Um, I don't know. Let's. What about uh, Bree? You're. I mean, you're new to this. What would you think about having uh, some of that kind of stuff? I think that'd be good, like, even, even just for inspiration, like just having sort of like a, like you said, the unofficial reference. I think that'd be good. I myself am a, a big fan. I'll answer my own question because, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm to do that. You know, you know th th thanks for asking, Clay. Uh, I, feel, I feel pretty good about it. I always love seeing the new stuff that they're coming out with, and I'm always interested. I want to try it and try to give back to what they give to me. So I like to give my feedback, see how it goes based off what how my DMs feel like. Currently, I'm actually playing a UA in our campaign. I'm playing uh, uh, I'm actually playing a UA subclass for my rogue. I don't want to reveal too much yet because no, no, keep it, keep it, keep it to yourself. Don't let anyone know. Yeah, but it's uh, working out really well, and we are actually having a good time with it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it also has a little bit of. Uh, personal touches to it to the, to the flavoring, so it actually fits my backstory too. But mo basically, I kept the mechanics and most of the general stuff. But uh, I think uh, they actually had a big update to it recently. But it's it's very interesting. I I, I really enjoy all the UA that they include, uh, and it's uh, they're actually fairly regular in updating it. They uh, do it almost every week sometimes. Yeah, um, I don't. I think There's... the most are what. I was just gonna say, there's usually like one a month, uh, if not more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, actually, beginning of the year, they actually had like one every week for three months straight, almost. Yeah. That was that was a fun time. And it keeps the game like fresh and new too, so you don't get like too stale with the same classes. But yeah, exactly. And though that does make it a little tougher for the the newer players. Right. Uh, it just you know, there's just so much, and that was the whole point of FIE was to you know kind of bring it down and make it you know more comfortable for the new players however well, for you know I was gonna say that's the point too is like it's UA so if you don't want to play with it at the end of the day you can just say no right yeah. right and again that comes down to the you know the DM making the decision but I would say if you're a player uh, like Joey came and asked if he could do this you know and I was totally open to it so I mean that definitely works so um, awesome Man, that is some great. Do you have any more for us, Joey? Or do um, we have to wait till next week? You'll have to wait till next week. I got to. It's classified. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to start wrapping it up now. Um, we're going to we're going to skip the update to our campaign because unfortunately, these folks are in an epic battle, and we're waiting to see what the outcome is on that. So we'll probably have an update for you next week. I think uh, we can skip for one week. 
Um, we'll see how many are still left next week. Uh, we've we've all discussed that if the uh, player character dies, you're no longer part of the podcast. So it might just be me next week. We'll see. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it was a good run. Yeah. Made it, what, four episodes? So stay tuned. Hopefully uh, we'll come back with uh, more information. Uh, more fun and uh, as always if you have any suggestions you know please let us know Um, great to have you back thanks hope you had a fun time with us for this uh, small we ran over a little this time but you know what that's okay next time we you know we'll we'll do we'll be even worse so (laughs) all right take care guys